Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chasing Unicorns. It's a podcast series where we throw some of the brightest early stage founders into the spotlight and get to see sort of what they're working on and uh, how they're impacting the startup scene. I'm your host, Thomas Hogan, and I'm accompanied with Unicorn co-founder Justin Gia. And today we have an awesome guest. It's another Thomas. His name is Thomas Vosper. He's an e-commerce veteran with over a decade of experience at companies like Amazon and Tesco. And he's also the CEO and co-founder of Aisle 3, a comparison shopping site that puts choice and control in the pocket of every shopper on the planet. Thomas, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm very well. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleased to uh, add to the quota of Thomas's on the podcast and make sure <laughs> that there's a majority here. I love it. I love it. All right. So to uh, dive in for our viewers and listeners, um, could you explain in some more detail about what you're building at aisle three and the value that it's bringing to all of your users? Yeah, absolutely. So we're a, we're an early stage startup in online shopping. Uh, my background is about 14 years at split across the likes of Amazon and Tesco, building their marketplace businesses. Uh, back in the UK, when there was only about 250 of us in Amazon, which seems like a, an absolute lifetime away. Uh, at the start of the first lockdown here in the UK, UK, um, I was unfortunately made redundant when my employer folded. And so that was the opportunity for me to kind of uh, step out of my comfort zone as a 40 year old first time founder and uh, build a business that I think is a massive problem for every shopper on the planet. And that's quite simply this it's very easy for you to go onto um, a comparison site to buy something complicated like car insurance or life insurance but if you look for a particular set of wireless headphones you probably end up doing what I do which is open up half a dozen tabs across the top of your browser and check multiple websites to try and find if they're in stock if it's a decent price if they can deliver at a time that suits you and so I find it kind of nuts that when you've got the you know, a very trusted source of information like Wikipedia, why do you not have something like that for every single product on the planet? Um, and so that's what we're building at IL3. We're 13 months into that journey, um, and we're really excited to introduce it to, uh, to your listeners and, and the network, of course. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm curious to see how difficult was creating your own company compared to, you know, working at companies with the likes of Amazon and Tesco, you know, what's that transition like for you? Well, um, yeah, so I, I had a bit of a gap between leaving Tesco and then I did move to a startup myself for, uh, for about three years, which was the one that unfortunately uh, kind of met its demise back in March last year. Um, so I got a bit of an insight in terms of what it looked like as a startup and the difference between being able to pick up the phone to someone and say, hi, I'm Thomas from Amazon, and basically having um, been put through to whoever I wanted at that point to suddenly picking up the phone and saying, hi, I work for a small price comparison startup that you've never heard of. Uh, <laughs> is it possible I can speak to someone in your e-commerce department? Right. Uh, it's, uh, you know, an outwardly very, very different um and then of course you know what i've learned over the last year is that you know running a startup is a bit like you know outwardly what it looks like when you look at an iceberg right you see the kind of tip of it and what you don't kind of realize is that 
you know, 95% of everything happens like, like underwater, right? You just don't, you don't see it at all. And even trivial things like, um, like opening a company bank account when all of the banks stopped accepting new customers because <laughs> of the disruption of COVID suddenly becomes, um, you know, an absolute time drain and really critical to the business. It's staggering. Right, right. And when you say IO3 sort of complements Amazon or kind of goes against Amazon, like a David and Goliath story? Hmm. Well, I think we're amongst friends, right? So we can all admit that we probably buy on from Amazon every now and then, right? But Right, all of us. Think, <laughs> right? Um, but it's not very much fun. And so um, on top of that, so I, I mean, look, here are the three things that we think, and this is this is where you see where we fit, fit with Amazon, right? Fundamentally, these are the three things that we think are wrong with e-commerce that R3 is fixing. One of them is product comparison and product discovery. Like it just doesn't really exist right now. Um, you have marketplaces like Amazon, and then other marketplaces, um, and then you have price like the old traditional price comparison sites that have been around twenty years, and they've got multiple retailers feeding broken data into them in product feeds either directly or through other providers or digital marketing agencies and they're not matching up those products so you know even right now if you go onto amazon and you try and find a particular pair of trainers you'll probably see you know the colors all kind of mangled and garbled and not really matched up and that's across the same with google shopping and every other marketplace so that's one of the problems that we see like product comparison doesn't really work and then because it doesn't work it makes product discovery very difficult because you don't have one trusted source the second thing where yeah sure we do counteract with amazon i disagree with amazon is that you know there's, there's lots of company review sites across the internet but actually for products most people probably go onto amazon and most of those are either corporate espionage or incentivized reviews or someone who thinks that they're a bit of a comedian trying to write a funny review about something right you know try to find a biro where they're reviewing it for someone who's left-handed not working uh you know it's like it's just not <laughs> credible right so reviews don't exist and so we have a we have a mindset that you know like a a, um, a vote from a friend is worth a hundred anonymous reviews and so that's the Second problem that we see that we're solving at R3. And then the third one, which is, you know, really where I do have a concern, maybe a bit of kind of poacher turned gamekeeper at Amazon, is just how negatively marketplaces affect brands and retailers right now. And what I mean by that is that if you think about the last thing that you bought on Amazon, and then think about if you bought that directly from Amazon or if it came from a third party seller, who was the seller? Because if you don't know, then that retailer, that brand has no customer, no brand equity. Hmm. And that's right. terminal for them. Yeah, so I, I definitely uh, am seeing the value that you bring to buyers and uh, the product itself sounds really great, but what's uh, more in more specifics, what are you doing for sellers and for brands that really sets you apart from the competition? Yeah, well, we're the destination, right? So our plan is to be the destination of the trusted catalogue of products so that shoppers can see 
all of the buying options in one place so they can find whatever is the best deal for them. But then ultimately they have a direct relationship with the retailer. They're checking out with the retailer. They're coming into the, the retailer's uh, brand and, and ecosystem. Uh, they're getting that rich brand experience that you know the good brands and retailers try and offer on their own sites. And that's how we work. So we work on a, uh, a share of basket on the retailer's side. And we see that as a very uh, symbiotic relationship where they own the customer, but because we're the source of truth for product discovery and comparison, actually we can work quite closely with those retailers at both ends of that kind of buying journey to make mm -hmm. sure that they're getting the right customers at the right time. I mean, I was just to put it into some context here, we are, um, we're 13 months old as a business, we're tackling one category. So just like Amazon tackled books, you know, we tackle one category. We've decided to do something significantly harder than books. We've decided to aggregate trainers because, you know, there's lots of variables, lots of colors, lots of sizes, um, lots of poor information out there, lots of product feeds that only have one engine. We want to completely change that and show a rich experience. And if we can crack trainers, which, you know, spoiler alert guys, but pretty much there, right? Without having to have any uh, brand or retail do anything. Um, you know, we ultimately, we think that's that's pretty game changing. Wow, very cool. Uh, so after trainers, basically, since that's like the category you guys have uh, capitalized on, are you looking to sort of vertically expand into like all clothing accessories or what does like the product roadmap look like in that respect for the mm -hmm. next year or two? Yeah, great question. So I suppose it depends on how we launch um, the business and launch and if we choose to launch the business internationally. Um, you know, we mustn't kind of get ahead of ourselves. We've currently raised around, uh, I guess it would be about eight hundred thousand um, dollars. So we're kind of like pre-seed. Um, we're uh, just like due to demand off the recent press, um, likely to launch a proper seed round for about sort of three or four million dollars in the next. Uh, next, well, I'd say next few months, but it might be a little bit sooner than that. Um, uh, we're happy to look at other categories for two reasons. One is um, like to expand the offering for, for the shoppers on the site, but also for the technical challenge that we're solving. And I, I suppose this is the kind of real secret source here. Um, fundamentally, every other platform on the internet is based around someone supplying information to them which I know from 14 years of experience in the industry was broken 14 years ago and ain't really changed guys pretty much the same um, we um, through a number of different methods basically bring the products and the data into our own ecosystem without a retailer or a brand even having to do anything and so, whereas you will find many examples on other sites where you get red and scarlet for the color and crimson, and then maybe sometimes red's all in capital, but then there's also another red, which is surprisingly similar, but all in lower case, right? Mm -hmm. And then another one with the proper casing, which, you know, surprise, surprise, also has red stuff in it. You know what, we don't even bother about if anyone tells us it's red or not, like, We'll work it out for ourselves, guys, and we'll be the source of truth. And that that's really game-changing. And I suppose to look at, um, you know, the different categories, and, you know, I suppose this is something for investors to consider when they look at our business at the stage we are right now. You know, 
there's a couple of pretty big businesses you guys have got over there in the US, right? Like StockX and Goats, and they're just trainers. Like they're just trainers, and they're like unicorn businesses. Right. So, um, yeah, as much as I have this ambition to have a Wikipedia of products across the entire globe, um, there's a billion dollar business waiting in aisle three within the next 12 to 18 months. If, you know, if we find the right partner to, to get involved in the business. 100%. Yeah, I don't want to derail the conversation too much, but is there a story behind the name aisle three? If so, I'd love to know. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, well, um, yes and no, I suppose. Like historically, we could kind of probably come up with something that's uh, pretty good, maybe puts us alongside, I don't know, Google, Amazon, and Aisle 3 as like three big destination sites for your source of truth <laughs> information. And maybe we can be, you know, whilst we might start off as the third option for shoppers, maybe we could work our way to being the, the number one option. I, Fundamentally, guys, it was really important for us that, you know, we're a really experienced team with like 30 years in e-commerce and hugely passionate about not only supporting shoppers to get the best deal, uh, but also supporting the retailers and the brands as well. And so it was important for us to have a name which sits in our roots of retail and also like bridges that gap from digital to physical retail uh, without, you know, like like putting us into a little corner based around something to do with price or with delivery or with just comparison in general is just so much more to to our ambitions for the business right right so it's about not setting that sort of glass ceiling for yourself in terms of brand you know you have the potential to do as much as you like absolutely and remain in you know remain focused on retail and focused on the shopper and that's Everyone likes to say that they're the world's most customer-centric business, and they just think of shoppers or customers, right? Right. But um, most people say, I always put the customer first because that's what Amazon do. Well, if you do it because Amazon do it, guys, that's not putting the customer first for a start. And <laughs> most people call their, uh, their customers users, which is basically a term that's only applied for big tech and drug dealers and so you know we're absolutely obsessed about shoppers and shoppers as real people and engaging with them as real people all right yeah and so, uh, sort of going back to uh, you mentioned your team uh, i actually looked on your guys' website and the the teammates you have uh, in your company are they, they seem very very bright and so sort of speaking to the technical aspect of your company um, I saw that you have some like proprietary machine learning going on there. So how was the process sort of building that out uh, with you and your, your partners? And um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We wouldn't be a uh, tech startup, right? Without a bit of ML and AI, <laughs> yeah. computer vision, complaining like what keyword bingo, like, you know, the <laughs> bottom line is, you know, the, the, guys, the, the bottom line is that we see like, um, so many decks and other businesses that say that they are deploying some sort of machine learning or AI. And when you kind of work it backwards, it's really just an if this, then that kind of formula on an Excel spreadsheet. Um, yeah, I'm hugely passionate about the work that we've done as a 
business in the way that we're able to aggregate products without any input from a retailer or a brand. I can't really say much more than that without giving too much of our secret sauce away. Um, but what I will say is that you know, we've seen um, the way that products are matched up um, over years across working in marketplaces and having relationships with the uh, mass kind of aggregators and distributors of um, of e-commerce and product feeds um, and we also have three years working in a startup that didn't quite make it as employees right who you know tried to crack the same thing that the traditional price comparison sites had been trying to crack for 20 years so you know we've got a very detailed insight of the market as a whole and we basically decided to then ignore all of that and do our own thing entirely which has got nothing to do with anything else we've ever seen <laughs> right <laughs> it just so happens that when you put that down on a deck yeah it's you know it's ai and ml right, right. um and yeah there's some really smart guys um actually um you know i think for us actually that was a big validation for us in growing the business as well the, the people that are involved in the business and maybe you know just looking at who we are on linkedin there's a there's a few guys kind of behind the scenes there as well that um that also work very closely with us and they like the challenge they get it they get that no one's done this before and um most most businesses in the UK and what US stats are like, but in the UK, like most businesses, like 80% don't make the first year. They're just not in existence after the first year. Well, we've gone through that. Um, businesses in the UK, they raise like 1% of businesses raised. And we've done it twice now in less than 12 months. And, and we have a proper business and set of accounts and on a trademark. And we're just about to um, create a subsidiary business in India where a majority of our staff are so that we can better support our staff with a proper localized legal entity. You know, we're, uh, people get that we are building something here properly with a very robust investable vehicle and with a piece of tech behind the scenes, which is doing something no one else is doing. And kind of like the kind of cherry on the top of all of that is that imagine if you could build Wikipedia for products. Yeah. So you had one, one site across the entire planet that you genuinely could trust that whatever product you were buying, you would find all of that information in one place. And that's why smart people join our business. Right. No, they see the potential. They see the vision. Um, I'm curious to see. I, I, I know you mentioned that, you know, unfortunately, your previous startup of three years kind of uh, ended, right? But now on to your new venture with IL3, talking to investors and knowing that you guys had that experience, is that a benefit or is that a detriment to talk about that experience? Oh, I think a lot of stuff that I've learned over the 14 years in e-commerce, both at the kind of both ends of the spectrum is very valuable. But right. I was never been involved in investor conversations. So I was an employee at my last company, just an employee. 
Right. Um, and so being then thrust into this idea of creating a proper legal entity with a robust set of docs, the shareholders agreement and proper articles and then registering all that with the company's house and having a proper lawyer and a proper accountant and then going out and building a pitch deck that you talk to investors who want to know about business models and projections and hey how much revenue you guys going to make in like seven years oh i don't know to be honest because like you know, seven years ago there still weren't that many people on the planet with an iphone so <laughs> yeah. i don't know what you're asking me to predict here um yeah like it's you know it's, it's like a completely different world like I, I just i'd never sat down and run a pitch deck with an investor um you know this time a year ago like it had never happened so i certainly learned a lot about the relationship with shoppers and how businesses um you know view their customers or as i said users um, and I certainly know how those businesses view retailers and brands and also the specific challenges retailers and brands have, but I feel like absolutely everything else has been like, it's been like a, a roller coaster, right? Raising right. money. And, you know, when I look at that stat, like 1%, that's it, 1% do it. We have to give ourselves a little pat on the back for making it. <laughs> this far you know yeah Both maybe i don't know so i don't i don't ever feel quite done though just a little bit problem. just a little yeah. bit <laughs> yeah i don't i don't i don't uh, yeah i don't feel quite um complete really it's of course of success. course it's, it's not just success the beginning. to me it's just a, it's just another milestone and by the way all of these like bs posts that you see everywhere celebrating like we raised this it's amazing it's amazing like you know it's just a milestone right M money's a milestone and we just have right. to you know as found there's a responsibility to spend investors' money correctly for the growth of the business. Right. And, you know, we've done that with a small amount of money. Uh, we've delivered stuff that I don't think there's really other businesses that have delivered. Um, and that's what we've done with a tiny amount of money. And so the next real phase for us as a business would be to say, hey, you know, what happens if it's a little bit more? Like, you know, it's not tens of millions of dollars, not yet, maybe this time next year, but like just a little bit more. Totally. And yeah, onto your point about a uh, seven year financial projections. We're on the same boat. Um, I think it's ridiculous. There's just no way you can even predict even three years is pretty much like a, a pretty far fetched estimation, guesstimation at that point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, mm -hmm. I've done an awful lot of research on other decks and other founders i spend a lot of time with other founders to hear about their challenges and try and learn from them and also share my experiences as well to kind of help the wider community and the reality is is it, it's a lot of it's either nonsense or it's someone like trying to almost see if they can see what the answer is right because you know i've yet to see a financial projection from any startup that's been like accurate and i think that you know sure like at, at like you know late stage investment absolutely you've got a robust model you've got uh you know often hundreds of people in particular departments in a business your forecasting should be spot on but like right now for most businesses you back is this a credible team are they smart um can they take feedback and do they have a growth mindset so that they can develop and are they nimble enough to basically like look for the right opportunity and then driven enough to execute like that's that's it right yeah. and um 
you know that that's where you really need to like make sure that you've got this cohort of rebels and talented people that kind of buy into your mission because you know it it's it is working late it is working long um like from an investment point of view it's talking to hundreds of investors because Many of them do say, I want to see the three-year, five-year, seven-year projection. You need to move on from those kind of quickly. It's just like relentless. Yeah. So considering... Do you know one other business that is, uh, is, calls itself relentless? If you asked me earlier about what I think about Amazon, oh. um, try looking up what relentless.com leads to. Relentless.com. That was the original... Relentless.com. Because <laughs> it opens up Amazon, do you need any more proof that they are going to ride roughshod against over your business? Wow, <laughs> just opened it up right now. That's crazy. I had no idea. Well, uh, kind of like keeping on the topic of sort of like what investors want to see in these founders and their companies, because it obviously sounds like you have most of these qualities. You got a great team behind you, a lot of traction, a lot of partnerships. Let's like flip it on its head a little bit. So now that you've successfully raised a couple rounds, you're looking to even, you know, go for a bigger round currently. And then when you do that, you'll certainly start seeing the success. But what do you look for in an investor now? Because it's obviously just not all about capital when you guys are going to start running on your own recurring revenue. You know, just strategically, what kind of investors do you look for, whether it's expertise or just the vision that they have, their character? Mm -hmm. You know, what are your what's your criteria for that? Yeah, what a fabulous question. And that's exactly the mindset that I'd encourage every founder to have. I'd actually say that it's, it's never just about the capital at any stage of the business. Mm -hmm. You know, there's probably, um, you know, masses of uh, founders right now out there. Maybe you're listening and you're in this situation, right? And you recognize this where you took the money early and then you suddenly realize that you've got someone who's not a domain expert talking to you about your band or the color of your product or a marketing strategy for you and so you know I've always been quite clear that I view investors as a partnership I've turned down many investors over the last few months because they just um they they weren't going to be able to bring the support that we need and the, the funny thing is is that you know a few investors have said to me during the process you know can I be an advisor to the business? And I've said, well, uh, that's kind of the default option, guys. Like, I'm not paying you for it. What you'll get is I'll, you know, I'll double them. You know, we doubled our valuation in, in five months. And um, we're going to go out now at 10x, our last valuation, because there's demand for that already, uh, like literally like four weeks after closing the round. Um, and so, you know, that I expect support and I'd encourage every founder to try and uh, surround themselves with people that they can pick up the phone to and say, hey, um, you know, we're looking to expand our team in India. And have you or anyone in your company ever worked with a recruitment company that we can trust in India? Because I asked my investors that and I had like five of them give me people within like half an hour. So I know you're based in the UK and I know previous to, you know, our podcast starting, we were chatting about sort of looking for investors in the US and opportunities in the States. 
how do investors sort of differ from the UK and the States? Is it capital? Is it expertise? Or is it just access to a bigger market share in the States? Uh, so when we've conducted our research, we, we understand that it takes um, uh, on average a couple more rounds in the for UK and EU startups to get to unicorn status. By unicorn status, I'll work in dollars, by the way, that's, that's what we'd assume. Um, and so there's definitely uh, a correlation with raising in the US being quicker to get to unicorn status. Now, I don't know, maybe you guys will laugh at this, right? But like, you know, in our first kind of like pre-seed, pre-seed, pre, I don't guess we're like angel friends and family type round. I genuinely spoke to like VCs who were saying, oh yeah, you kind of need to be profitable before we invest in you. Like, I don't know what your definition of VC is, but like, that's not my definition of VC, like <laughs> investing in an already profitable business, um, like in a proven market at a small scale, like it's just, it's not. Right. And, um, you know, I'm staggered by like some of the approaches that I see uh, and you guys will have it in, um, you guys have, have like people like Thrasio or whatever, like in the, in the U S where they're basically, everyone likes to say they're innovative. Everyone likes to say they're going to break the system and break the mold and do something like groundbreaking. And then they all go and plow millions and millions of dollars into a business that is buying an already profitable business on Amazon. Right now I don't get it. I like, I, I don't get that. Like if you take, um, that model and instead say that we're going to invest lots of lots of money into a plot of land which has got a block of flats on it and everyone in the flats like they're all full and they're all paying rent and each year we get an, a yield because the flat value goes up and we also get everyone's rent like explain to me how that's vc money right because that's exactly the same thing and so uh, there's kind of all of this kind of stuff going on over here, which I don't really get. But then, uh, you know, we have the same kind of conversation with what's your three-year plan, what's your seven-year plan. Someone actually asked me what we do in 15 years. I said, oh, well, we'll just buy everything, either using our fingerprints or our eyeballs. Like, what do you want me to say? <laughs> like, I don't know, right? That's the point. We're not, you know, we're not building like we need to get the business ready to adapt to everything con uh you know as, as the business grows and that again is why you invest in smart people who can you know adapt to the times and grow the business and that's why i need investors that are smart because investors will know their subject matter expertise maybe better than we do in a particular area and that's kind of the next stage of our investors as well uh, but generally like the vcs that i've spoken to in the us um uh, well, I actually have, I mean, that's kind of half the reason kind of joining the network, right? I'm interested in finding out who are the rebels of the VCs, who are the rebels that look at a business like us and say, you know what, these guys probably don't fit the mold, right? I'm 40 years old and founding a business for the first time. Our talent has been employed globally because we've never needed an office because we've been building an entire business during a global pandemic you know so i i'm really keen to talk to people who who maybe they're the underdogs you know maybe um the west coast and east coast vcs that, that 
suddenly have started popping up in my inbox since our last successful raise, having done this twice. You know, maybe I do go down that route and talk to those guys. But you know what? Maybe there's someone in the middle who wants to do something punchy here and recognizes maybe we are a billion dollar business quite quickly. And maybe they're a fund that can quite easily deploy you know, a couple of million dollars into a business like ours and turbocharge the business. And that's the kind of thing that really excites me about joining this network, being on this podcast and getting to know you guys and the people within your network. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, this sort of like culture that you have of, of this rebel mentality, right, that you want from investors, I'm sure that also plays into your hiring processes. You want everyone on your team to sort of have that that rebel mentality. And so uh, just as one of my last questions, I, I just wanted to uh, ask you for the viewers and listeners, like if there are any specific positions that, that you're hiring for, especially as you guys begin to scale, like, are you looking for any specific skills from, from a, from a rebel? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, again, this, this is a great question, right? Cause it's, it's absolutely like the key to us to scale. It's one of the hardest things I think of a business you know, how do you kind of let go of some of the elements and bring in people and, and bring in the team to help you grow? You know, I, I was just speaking with my co-founder, our CTO today, and we're going to double all of our efforts for recruitment in the next three months. Um, we have like eight open positions right now. That'll double. Uh, most of the talent that we're looking for right now is based uh, in and around India. Uh, we're looking for um, web engineers, we're looking for front-end devs, we're looking for anyone that can work with big data, but overall anyone that can look at the big problem that we're trying to solve right now and um, be able to take a step back and think about it in a very unconventional way. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge believer of having a growth mindset, having a supportive attitude for the business and that, you know, many people talk about like failing fast um by the way i don't want to fail but uh, i would always encourage people to work closely with each other and i suppose that was kind of proven when we kind of went onto the free version of slack right like between three of us we basically went over like ten thousand messages in like six <laughs> weeks right like over communicate you know, you're always there you're always talking and, and actually and this is the other thing that i'd probably talk about that's worth sharing with other founders right I, i'm in awe of anyone that tries to do this as a solo founder like i just don't know how you do this um i took 400 investor meetings in like six weeks um now explain to me how i can do that and run a business and hire a team and build a product and actually i can't no one can. Right. And so, you know, I, there's a graveyard of founders and businesses right now that, you know, they've spent so long working on the business, they just haven't worked in the business, and then they've run out of cash, or they missed their targets, or no one, like, chose to invest or follow in their investment because they couldn't build a product. And so for me, like, you know, the, the real kind of learning for me over the last you know, year is that you need to get complete trust with a co-founder that like has got your back and then a team that then come in and recognize that and just get on with it and can be trusted and will always be there to, to support you and, and have your and, and support from you. 
hundred percent. I think that was an amazing note to end the podcast, but before we wrap it up, I want to give you a chance, Thomas, to, you know, give any shout outs, where to find you, where to find aisle three, where to connect with you, LinkedIn, Twitter, anything. Yeah. So, well, my name is Thomas Vosper. There's already two Thomases on this podcast, <laughs> but hopefully not too many Thomas Vospers in the world. You can find me, Thomas J. Vosper, on LinkedIn. Our website is isle-3.co. We're just about to launch a new website in the next couple of weeks. So the start of like early May. Um, uh, at the risk of suddenly having like the universe's recruiters or BD people all messaging me. I'm very transparent as a CEO, as a founder. Um, I look at my, I look after my own email inbox. And so my email is thomas at isle-3.co. And I would love to hear from um, investors, founders uh, that I can support anyone who has a complementary business or a competitor who thinks that there's an angle to work together. Um, I think that we're all stronger together. And if there's someone that's inspired by this challenge of creating a Wikipedia of products, then again, I'd also like to hear from you because even if it's not right now that we can bring you into the business, I'm sure that at some point I'd like to be sitting in front of a bunch of US investors, all very interested in our business, all invested in the business and planning about how we build a team over there as well. All right. That, yeah, that's great. And uh, for those of you listening or watching, we'll also put all of those links down in the description below. And uh, yeah, Thomas, thanks so much for coming. This has been awesome. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank uh, you so we'll, much. yeah, we'll see all of you back here for the next episode. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Great name, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>